You may be seated. Our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through chapter 8, verse 4. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Back in April, in response to the coronavirus in the United Kingdom, the government enacted some very strict social distancing laws. And a part of it was that people were allowed out for uh, only one form of exercise a day. They, could, uh, they gave examples like a run, a walk, a cycle, uh, alone or with members of their household. And in the Insider uh, that reported in April, there was a woman who defied uh, the the lockdown by sitting on a park bench for nearly an hour. And a police officer confronted the woman who was sitting on the park bench, and the conversation went something like this. She said, I am exercising mentally. And uh, he said, I don't uh, don't think that's happening. Uh, I don't think that's the spirit of, of what's happening. And she said, well, I'm in the spirit of social distancing. I'm sitting here on my own. I'm not infecting anyone. That's the actual spirit. And the officer asked her if she'd be willing to to go home. And she said, I'll be willing to go home at sunset, which is in less than an hour. And they proceeded to go back and forth and debate over uh, what the UK lockdown rules were. Uh, And the officer said exercising mentally was not a valid uh, reason under the law. And the woman said the law doesn't specify what the exercise is. The woman was arrested. And the words of the 1966 song, I fought the law and the law won. The law won. Uh, We don't like authority, uh, particularly uh, overreach of authority. But there's a, a part of us as human beings that we don't like authority because we have rebellious hearts. Now, conversely, uh, the opposite thing can happen, and that is when we find ourselves in times of disarray and difficulty and challenge, people can actually give too much credence to authority and look to authority to solve all their problems. We saw that uh, back uh, at the time of World War II. Before World War II, uh, the Nazi party was a very small, uh, uninfluential party. And through the course of the events that happened with the Great Depression and other, other historical events and political um, uh, confusion and chaos within Germany, uh, this party arose to great power and people looked to an authoritarian regime uh, to provide for them. So what's your relationship with authority? The Bible says that there is ultimate authority And the authority that is the ultimate authority is our path to good. 
Now, we're about to begin a series, a sermon series on Jesus' authority. And I said last week that we were finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. I was partially telling you the truth and partially not, because what we find here is the last couple of verses of what's traditionally thought of as the Sermon on the Mount uh, transitions thematically to what's going on in the next chapters, highlighting the authority of Jesus Christ. In the ancient Near East, kings were called shepherds. And uh, that was true of, of Israel's kings, all of their kings. Of course, we think of King David, who is actually a shepherd. And we see this terminology um, in the Psalms. Here, for instance, is Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to the shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. We have a shepherd, a king who is in authority, and that king cares for his people and shepherds them. Prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 4 says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus is our authority. He is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, according to Psalm 23. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good Shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So Jesus is the shepherd that cares for you. Jesus is the shepherd that has ultimate authority. Will you follow Jesus? Now, in the first part of our text for today, we find out that Jesus has authority in teaching. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And the people were not reacting simply because Jesus sort of stylistically was teaching in a certain way that they really liked. No, Jesus was saying and pronouncing with authority the word of God. And we find after this section in uh, Matthew, after this, these particular verses, there are several ways in which the authority of Jesus is highlighted. Um, the authority of Jesus to cleanse, the authority of Jesus to heal, his authority over creation, his authority over demonic powers, his authority to forgive sins. What will your response be to Jesus' authority? Will you follow Jesus where he leads you, first of all, by his teaching? Now, the context of verses 28 and 29, uh, which speak of his authoritative teaching, is the Sermon on the Mount. We can add, of course, the whole Bible to that, but specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And it is interesting because many people try to uh, say that the Sermon on the Mount, in part or total, does not apply to us anymore. There are liberals, and when I say that, I mean not political liberals. I mean 
theological liberals, capital L, that come from a particular perspective, whether they be pastors or theologians, that would say that the, uh, the Bible is not without error and certainly is not all authoritative, and they tend to pick and choose what they like, uh, and they do that in the Sermon on the Mount, and certain things they believe are applicable and certain things are not applicable, and in a, in a sense, in a very real sense, they are making themselves out to be the authority in determining uh, what is and is not authoritative. Then there are others that would say of the Sermon on the Mount that the Sermon on the Mount was written uh, to a time that is in the past and so is no longer applicable to us. And conversely, there are some who say the Sermon on the Mount is written for a time in the future and it doesn't apply to us. So how is it that we know whether things in the Bible teachings in the Bible, particularly when it comes to the moral law or moral directives of God, apply to us today. And I, from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I wanted to take a little bit of time and explain that to you because I think it's important uh, as you understand Bible and application to yourself, but it's also important because we live in a day where people will actually take portions of the Bible and say, well, this law here is not applicable today, so why are you why are you saying this is applicable? So we're going to explain that. There are basically three types of law in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You have, you have moral law, which is the kind we think of, you know, the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, and, and many other moral laws. And you have uh, ceremonial laws. Among them are laws related to sacrifices, and those sacrifices uh, were pointers. They were symbols and signs, and those were fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Those were meant to lead up to Christ. They were not the, uh, the way that people received forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice. Those sacrifices pointed to Jesus who would bring the forgiveness of sins in his once and for all sacrifice. And there are other ceremonial laws as well. You had uh, ceremonial laws that would set people apart. Uh, God gave them these laws as a, as a people to say, you are different, you are uh, distinct. Um, just one example, for instance, Leviticus 19.27, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Um, and again, this is one of these laws that people would say, oh, you Christians, why don't you do this anymore? Why don't you follow that anymore? These were ceremonial laws for the people of God before the time of Christ to set them apart. Many years ago, I went on a family reunion. At that family reunion, we all wore uh, family reunion T-shirts, right, uh, that set us apart as a family. Everywhere we went in the boardwalk in New Jersey, uh, we were singled out as people that were part of this family on a family reunion. In much the same way, God had many, many laws, ceremonial laws, that would set the people apart as his people. The reality came in Jesus Christ himself. And so these ceremonial laws are no longer binding. There were also civil laws in the Old Testament. You had... And I've used this example before. There was a law that said you have to put a fence on the roof of your house. We think how strange. You know, why would they do that? It's because people would walk 
on the roof of their house. They would have a flat roof and they would use that roof. And so it was a, it was a means of protecting people, uh, protecting your neighbor, protecting your children and others from falling off and injuring themselves. And what we do with the civil laws of the Old Testament is we apply them the general equity of those laws. We learn from those laws. We can apply them to ourselves personally and even to our society. So, for instance, we have laws in our society against attractive nuisance, attractive nuisance laws. You uh, have a pool. Uh, Many uh, municipalities have a law that you must put a fence around your pool to protect uh, people from coming in that can't swim and getting in your pool. And I would say, interestingly enough, we live in, in a, um, a community. I live in a community where uh, the, all of our fences were torn down. Many people have pools. I would encourage you, if you have a pool and you have not yet put up your fence, this might be the general equity of that law would say, this might be a good thing for you to consider doing. But it's not binding in the sense that we have to put a fence around the roof of our house. So how do we know which laws are still binding and not still binding? Well, one of the ways we know is if these laws are repeated in the New Testament. And I guess we would say if people question whether the Sermon on the Mount laws are still applicable, are they repeated in the remainder of the New Testament? And the answer is yes. So, for instance, here are the number of things that we looked at and we found that Jesus um, made pronouncements about in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He talked about murder. Romans 13 speaks of murder. He spoke about anger as being a sin. Colossians 3.8 does as well. He spoke about adultery. 2 Peter 2, verse 14 does as well. He spoke about lust being a sin. 1 Thessalonians 4.5 speaks of that. He spoke on divorce. Uh, Those particular um, pronouncements of Jesus were restated in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. He spoke about not lying. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 speaks of not lying. He spoke of not retaliating when we're retaliating when we're mistreated. 1 Peter 3, 9 speaks of the same thing. He spoke of loving your enemies in the Sermon on the Mount. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 speaks of it. He spoke of trusting God as your father and praying to him and not being anxious because we have a father who cares for us. Philippians chapter 4, 6 speaks of this as well. And so it is clear that the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount are authoritative and are applicable for today. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Some say the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is too hard. It's too difficult, and the only abiding purpose of it is to point us to Jesus Christ. Now, there's some truth to that, that the law of God, the moral directives of God... Uh, We have all failed them and fallen short of them. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount in any portion of Scripture and and take it seriously, and the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the truth as we get a good look in the mirror at who we are, the logical thing is to run to Jesus Christ to seek forgiveness of sins through His salvation. 
uh, and cleansing from sin. And we find, in fact, that in um, the Sermon on the Mount, in the verses that follow here, the section on the leper being healed, uh, that there's, again, a thematic connection. Now, um, many think, many uh, scholars think that the book of Matthew is written in a more topical manner, that he arranges um, even some of the, the events that take place in a thematic way. Um, and other gospel writers do it in more of a chronological way. For instance, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1 uh, uses uh, this same exact um, uh, leper being healed, um, apparently early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And here we have, I think it's no coincidence, right after Jesus tells us what it is we're to do, a cleansing take place. Because if you look at the words of Jesus Christ, you will be driven to him for cleansing. We see Jesus' authority in cleansing. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus had authority to cleanse. Now, the leper came to Jesus to be cleansed, not just healed. That's important. Next week, we're going to look at a healing. In the Bible and in the Old Testament, there is moral defilement. We can be, have the need to be cleansed because of our, our sin, our moral defilement. But also because of our ceremonial defilement, these ceremonial laws that were in force in the Old Testament could bring about a defilement. Uh, If you have leprosy, you have not sinned, but you are defiled. So Leviticus chapter 13 verses 44 and 45 says of leprosy, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, what is the disease of leprosy? Uh, It may include what we think of today as the disease of leprosy, which is a wasting disease where body parts begin to to waste away. Um, But it probably included other infectious skin diseases as well. And so what we learn from this is there was serious social distancing happening here when somebody had leprosy. They would have to remove themselves from the camp. They would have to remove themselves from the people. They would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, when anybody got close to them so that they would keep a certain distance away. I don't know if it was six feet or further or whatever it was supposed to be. And in addition to this, the the New International Version says they had to wear a face covering on the bottom half of their face. (laughs) So there's uh, some... Uh, correspondence to what we're doing uh, today in our society. And so there was this ceremonial defilement that took place because this leper had the disease of leprosy. 
And he came to Jesus and he knelt before him and he didn't say, heal me. He said, cleanse me. I'm in need of being cleansed. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will. I do will it. Be clean. And he touched him. Now, it was forbidden to touch a leper because if you touched a leper, what would happen? You would become unclean. The leper's leprosy and uncleanness would cause you to be unclean. When Jesus touches the leper, he makes him clean. Now, Jesus could have simply spoken the words and the leprosy could have gone away and he would have been cleansed. In fact, we see that next week. Jesus is not even under the same roof of the person who's cleaned and uh, who's healed and he still heals him. In this case, Jesus makes a point. I have the authority and the power to cleanse somebody. I can touch them and cause them to be cleansed such that I am not defiled. I have the power to do it. Now, we no longer have to be cleansed for leprosy or any other uh, ceremonial laws. Um, We're not ceremonially unclean anymore since the time of Christ. But we need to be cleansed from our moral defilement. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified. It's that same word in our text for cleansed. Everything is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, is, there is no forgiveness. Passage in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, uses this image of Jesus and what he has done for us in the husband-wife relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus has come to sacrifice himself for you and his blood and by his blood and faith in his blood, we are cleansed. We are forgiven. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so admit that you have disobeyed Jesus' words, that you have rebelled against his authority as evidenced by the fact that you have not followed what he has said. And come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that can happen for the first time in your life. It's a once and for all sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice uh, once and for all. When you uh, repent of your sins and you trust in him, uh, he has cleansed you from all past present and future sins, and you trust in him. Now, what about the Sermon on the Mount and the authority of Jesus Christ? Is it simply just to show you that you have failed to live up to his standards? That's part of it. But as one who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ, who's been cleansed for the forgiveness of your sins through faith in his blood, 
then the Sermon on the Mount is something that we use to follow Jesus, to follow his authority, even if we do it imperfectly. It's not in our culture, you know, you can go out and and have a a soccer match and uh, one team can win 100 points to to nothing. And uh, that that team that loses uh, by 100 to nothing, all the players can still get a participation trophy. Uh, That's kind of the culture we live in. Uh, eh, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It matters. We desire to follow Jesus even as we fall short. Our desire is to, um, is to enthusiastically follow his teaching. Some people try to adjust the words of Jesus to make them seem less difficult Uh, Because they understand they want to take Jesus' words seriously. Uh, They understand they need to follow his words. Uh, But to feel good about themselves, they lessen his words. And that's what the Pharisees did. That was the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, uh, I don't say it under oath. I don't have to keep my word. Jesus says, no. No. You need to keep your word and not lie to one another and various other things. And so we let the full weight of the authoritative word of Jesus Christ come to bear in our lives and follow it. And we understand that as we fail, the blood of Jesus uh, is, is there for us to cleanse us from our sins. But we take it seriously. Um, so what do we do? We love the words of Jesus, even when they are hard. Uh, We give thanks to him that his blood covers our sin when we fail. But we confess our sins and we endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And as you come to Jesus Christ for cleansing and you believe and trust in his cleansing authority for your life, you will then trust in his authoritative teaching for your life as well. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification, that word's that same word for cleansing, cleanse it, purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify, cleanse you, cleanse our conscience from dead, dead works. To do what? To serve the living God. So in the Old Testament, we had these purification rituals that would you be cleansed through the blood of an animal, but the reality came in Christ. And the author is saying, if that was the case back then, then even more, as you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you will what? You will, you will live to serve The living God. Titus 2.14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. Who are what? Who are zealous for good works. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 9, after listing a whole series of of positive things, says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As we remember that we're cleansed from our sins, we will endeavor to live under the authority of Jesus' teaching. 
And as we live for him, as we fail, we're covered by the blood of Christ. And we come to him in repentance and faith, joyful that we can trust our shepherd. We can trust in his authority to lead us in the right way. So if you say to Jesus Christ, Jesus, if you will, cleanse me from the defilement of my sin. Jesus says, I will be cleansed. One night, the famous preacher John Wesley was riding through, um, riding on horseback through Hounslow Heath near London. Uh, by the way, Gabe Allen and I went on a missions trip to, to London, England a couple years ago, and it was right, right near this place. Um, anyway, John Wesley was riding his horse uh, in this area, and a robber jumped in front of him and grabbed the horse's bridle and shouted, Halt your money or your life. And so Wesley gave him what meager coins he had in his pocket, and the, and the robber looked through his saddlebags. All he had was, were Christian books, literature. And uh, so he was disappointed and began to turn away. And Wesley said to him, stop, I have something more to give you. So the robber turns around and he says, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So years later, Wesley is preaching in a church, and after the service, uh, people come to see him and talk to him. And this man came to see him, the same man that had robbed him, and he was now a, a believer in Christ and a successful businessman. And so he said to Wesley, I owe it all to you. And Wesley said, oh, no, my friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. As we are cleansed from the sin, the defilement, the guilt of our sin through Jesus Christ, we're willing to live under his authority and to follow it and to receive great blessing through it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Uh, for your word today. We thank you for this uh, truth that uh, you and your son are in authority, that Jesus has the authority to cleanse us from our sins through his own blood. And as we come under that authority by trusting in his blood, trusting in his sacrifice, that you would cleanse us from our moral defilement. And we pray, Father, that we would then trust in his authority and in his teaching and live for him uh, in the grace of God, understanding that our sin is covered, uh, but knowing that he cares for us, that he delights in us, that he is our shepherd who will lead us. Father, give us the strength uh, to believe that and to follow him. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.